What we're going to talk about today in the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew chapter 5, you can get your Bibles ready for that, is the uh, authority and power of Jesus as displayed by Matthew in Matthew chapter 5. Um, this morning, I'm going to go ahead and I just want to read it real quick with you. And then we're going to read it a couple of times and we're going to do some stuff with it. When Jesus, this is Matthew 5, verses 1 and 2. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them. So I've got a question I want you to ponder uh, this, this week throughout this whole lesson, okay? And maybe even further. And here it is. What draws, that's supposed to be draws, me to Jesus? Maybe write that down on a page. On, um, I'm not very good about doing those notes like Cliff is, right? Uh, we all know Becky does those anyway, so uh, that's, uh, don't we? I mean, come on. <laughs> so this is the question we're going to ponder, and I, let this filter through your minds. Not what brought you to church today. Because okay? that might actually be different. And church is a great thing. Right? It's, it's We need to be here like Doug prayed. We desire to be here with people who believe the same way. We need to be here to worship God. It energizes us. But I have a specific question today. What specifically draws you to Jesus? Keep that in mind as we're filtering through. It's going gonna, it's gonna to walk through our whole, our whole session today. Now, I found this lesson by using some of the tools that Cliff and I uh, teach on Sundays. And you know, anytime I teach, I'm going to bring up the Bible study program, Bible study lab, we call it. When Cliff and I are actually teaching it on Wednesday nights in, at the Edmond uh, congregation now together. And yeah, we're both on the, on the stage, speak, on the stage. We're both up in front of the class speaking at the same time, which you can imagine what that's like. Uh, our, 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 uh, our wives don't let us uh, uh, get together, together very often for that very reason. But anyway, it's a whole other story. So I found this doing what I call observation. And what I wanted to share with you today, observation has, um, is a powerful, powerful director in my study of the Bible. Um, and I really like that word, director. It's really become that in my Bible study, and it's taken me to unique levels of study, just, just observation itself. When I think about the word director, I think about Larry Harrison, who's the a worship minister, and, and Josh Klostner. They direct our choir, and our orchestra, and they direct us through music. Now, a, music, a director is different than somebody who teaches music. Larry and Josh teach us on Wednesday nights in our choir and rehearsal. They teach us music and rhythms and dynamics of music. But when you see them on the stage on Sunday mornings during services, did I say that right? It's not Saturdays, right? Yeah, Sundays. Sunday mornings, they're directing us. They're directing us on a journey through the music. And that, to me, is what observation is. Observation is a lot like that. It directs me, personally, this is what I've experienced. It directs me through the passage and directs me to things that I can study that I don't ever notice before sometimes. I've, you, ever, you ever read one, read a passage and been through it and then looked up and like, where did those words come from? You know, well, they've been there for, you know, 2,000 years. But uh, that's a, that happens to me a lot. And, and almost every day when I study. And that's kind of crazy to think about, but that's kind of how God intended it, I think. So it's opened up my, my capacity, and it enlightens the eyes, my eyes, and I see more. Paul writes in Ephesians 1, verses 8, he says, I pray, I love this prayer that he writes, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. And the direction of observation has done exactly that. It enlightens my heart to what is in the scriptures. 
So this morning, we're going we're gonna to try this a little bit, all right? I've got on the screens, and you've got it on, on your Bibles and on your phones or whatever, we've got Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. I'm going to read it, and I want you to just kind of let, you, let your mind go as we read these words a couple of times, and, and then you can share just for a second here a little bit about how you're, what are you directed towards. All right, here we go. Matthew verse 5, verse 1 and 2. Chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them. I'm going to read it one more time. And I know nobody on a Sunday morning wants to be that person that's the first one to raise their hand and say what they observe, okay? <clears throat> but I want you to let your intellectual curiosity, and yes, you have some at 9.15 on a Sunday morning, okay? I want you to let your intellectual curiosity kind of take over, and I want you to share just a little bit about what you're directed toward. You don't have to give the answer about why you're directed there, just what are you directed towards. Let's read it one more time, and then we'll do it. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them. You're up. Oh, I love it. Yes, that, oh, you're next. Over. He got it, hand up first. He's there to speak to him, okay? To them. We'll say to everyone. You're right. He does, he does say disciples, right? Yes. Go ahead. Yes. Yeah, that's interesting. He went to the mountain. That's really interesting, okay? Okay. Somebody else? Yeah, in the back. He saw, that's a great one, isn't it? He saw the crowd. What else? Right here. Yeah, I love that. He sat down. Man, this is just a verse and a half. You guys are doing great. Doug. He went up alone. Okay, initially, yeah. Alone. He went alone initially. Okay, good. In the back. Maybe. And that's a unique perspective here. You know, I do think that Jesus spoke directly to the disciples, but I also think that everybody heard him, right? So he is up on that mountain, right? Yeah. Uh, what'd you say again? <laughs> High place. All right. Intentionally. Very good. Somebody else. Wow, you guys are Yes. That's a great, hey, that's a great observation, right? What was he doing? What doing? Anything else? Got a couple more. Yes. Oh, there's a good one. He opened. Mouth. That's supposed to be the word mouth. Okay, there you go. What last one? Here we go. Yes. Disciples came to him. Now, here's the point I want to make this, and I do this every time. Came to him. I'm, I'm trying not to be a doctor. Can I tell? All right, there we go. So uh, the, uh, uh, look at all we just found in two sentences. Because All we did is let observation direct us to something that we could study. And we've got a lot that we can investigate here. And so I, I think that's so fascinating. What I'm going to do is I'm going to share with you the one that caught my attention. It's already been mentioned. The one that caught my attention is he opened his mouth. I'm gonna look, I really want you to focus not on my 
pin scratching here on the, on the screen, but I want you to focus on this question, so I'm going to erase that. The one that really caught my attention is, he opened his mouth and began to teach them. And the very first question that entered my mind when I went there is, why? Why did Matthew write this? Can, first of all, can you imagine what that must have been like, right? All right, but we're going to set that aside for just a minute. We're going to come back to that, all right? For now, why did Matthew write this? Why did he write? He opened his mouth and began to teach them. And what I thought about was that he, um, this language, he opened his mouth and began to teach, is not part of regular, uh, normal language, is it? All right, for instance, if I'm describing an event that happened between two friends, I don't say, and John opened his mouth and told me about the cheeseburger that he ordered at the counter at Brahms, right? That's not how that works, is it? Right? It's more likely when I talk about John, I'm like, and John opened his mouth, and beautiful words flowed out as he described this powerful, impactful moment in his life. That's where that language is used, isn't it? And so what I observed in this and kind of investigated is that it appears to me that what Matthew is doing is he's using these words to illustrate something about Jesus. Lee Strobel, in his book, The Case for Christ, which we've looked at in here, I presented a couple of years ago, it's great material. Uh, Lee Strobel writes that in the first century, when a rabbi taught, they would always teach in the name of another rabbi, right? And that's how information is reliably preserved from the Bible before it was written down. Okay, so they got in the habit of, if I'm going to teach, I'm going to, Rabbi Bob, I don't know if there is a Rabbi Bob, but Rabbi Bob taught in the name of Rabbi Ray, okay? Another name I don't know that exists, right? So, um, and so that's how they reliably preserved information down the path. And it's always interesting when I, when I hear that, when I think about that, how do we pray? What's the end of our prayer? In Jesus' name I pray. And I, I just think that's cool, just, that's a little free information, you don't have to pay for that. So, uh, in other words, they teach, rabbis in Jesus' day taught in the name, in the authority of another. Now, we have to understand a little bit about who Matthew, the author of this gospel is. So Matthew is what? Is it disciple? What? He's a Jewish? Yes. Tax collector? Yes. All right. So as a Jewish man, in Matthew's gospel, one of the prevalent themes and what's really important to him to establish Jesus as the king, right? That's one, what's one of the major themes of, of his gospel. So when Matthew uses the words, he opened his mouth and taught, he's establishing that Jesus does not need to teach in the name of another person. He doesn't need to teach in the authority of another because Jesus is the authority. Matter of fact, the fact that Jesus doesn't speak in the name of another is further evidence um, that Jesus being the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords knew exactly who he was. The fact that he used his own authority in his own words, that's evidence that Jesus knew exactly who he was when he was here with us. Because he didn't teach by the authority of another, he taught by his authority. And we're going to get to that. This morning, I want to look at the context that is created by Matthew concerning the authority and the power of Jesus. And to do that, we got to step back just a little bit, and we're going to go back to Matthew chapter 4, okay? So this is BibleHub.com. It's a great website. Uh, if you want to try to use this, BibleHub.com. 
And the thing I like about it, it has more resources than you can shake a stick at, which I have no idea really what that phrase means, but you, whatever, you can't shake a stick at it, right? So uh, anyway, um, the cool thing about it, you can hover over these words, and all things, you can't read them up there, but every time I hover over words, see how that little hyperlink pulls up? It pulls up the definition of the word, and if you click on it, did I just, there it is. If you click on it, it will, um, it, it will give you everything you want to know about that word. So you can, anytime Cliff starts talking about it, you can check up on him and let him know whether he's right or wrong. So which, he'll really like that. You should do that. So, uh, all right. So here we go. Um, this morning, we're going to look at this. Let's look at verse 23 as how, how Matthew indicates the, uh, the context is what we're after, the context surrounding the authority and power of Jesus. Verse 23 is first. Is that right? Yes. Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. Now, what I was directed to in the observation of this passage is, is a couple things. First of all, Jesus goes through all of Galilee. All right? He, and and somebody, you all set it up here. Isn't it cool how Jesus went to the people? I mean, he has this authority and power, but yet he goes to the people. I think that's a beautiful story, all right? He taught, another observation, he taught in the synagogues, plural, and proclaims the gospel of kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom, singular. I think that's awesome, all right? But what I'm really focused on this morning is that he heals every kind of disease, and he heals every kind of sickness, because that's the way Matthew writes it, isn't it? And just remember that the Bible, here's what I've learned. The Bible is never redundant. Emphatic, yes, but redundant, no. And so what I notice about uh, this passage when Jesus is teaching is notice that he says healing every kind of disease. He didn't say healing every disease and sickness. He said healing every kind of disease and healing every kind of sickness. And so when you go and you look at these words, this is a phrase that I would have a tendency to gloss right over. But there's actually, when you, when you do that, when you see that in your study, back up, because almost every time I find something if I investigate it. And basically what Jesus is saying here is that every kind of, of illness and then every kind of disability, I think that is so powerful. I, I love the concept of the word every, every disease and every sickness. Think about that and then flavor it with the idea of the medical care that is available in this, in Jesus' day. And here he is, every sickness and every disease. Think about the concept of one medical condition. The one I've spent the most of my medical career uh, in, in the medical business around is chronic low back pain. I've seen the effects of chronic low back pain, and I can tell by some faces in here, there's some people in here who understand it as well, okay? It's debilitating. It can, it can take your life to a lower level, right? And the beautiful thing is that we have interventions that we can do. So imagine those of you who've been through or have had family members going through low, chronic low back pain. Imagine that no, nothing can be done, right? But the fact that, you know, we have, we have physicians that are interventional pain management physicians. And their sole purpose is to intervene in the body and, and, and make pain go away or mask it or, or correct it. But the people of Jesus' day who had chronic pain, and you know they existed, had little or no hope that anything would change. And then the context is that Jesus comes in and the word every is possible. That is fabulous to me, all right? It's such a great lesson for me. What draws me to Jesus? 
the possibility of the word every. Just love that. Remember, we're, we're considering the context created by the authority and the power of Jesus Christ. The next level of context is created in verse 24. <clears throat> what does verse 24 say? The news about him spread quickly. You think? <laughs> Man, we're, we're talking about the word every illness and every disease. Right, gee, I wonder why the, the news spread quickly around him. And I love the word spread. When you look it up, in the, if you can hyper, uh, go over the hyperlink, when you, it gives you this, this definition. It pulls it up and it says that it, uh, the word spread means to go away from. In other words, the news about Jesus and everything he was doing went away from where he was out into all the areas that are around him. I might point out, remember, there's no texting. There's, there, there's no news reporters. No breaking news banners, right? How many times do we have breaking news? We have broken the news fully, I think, all right? It's, 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 all right. How many times have you heard a, bro, a, a breaking news banner and you've heard it 15 times already? I mean, it just happens all the time. I don't get that, right? No, we'll, we'll leave them alone. We'll be nice. All right, so, um, you know, there's no texting. You can't share it on Facebook. No viral face, uh, uh, YouTube videos, anything like that. The news about Jesus Christ, the authority and the power of Jesus spread like wildfire through all the area simply by word of mouth. Can you imagine what those conversations were like when they're talking about Jesus? I, think about it this way. I have this narration that goes on in my head when I think about that. I hear, these, I hear these guys that are around a fire at night or something like that, and they're like, man, did you hear about that guy in Galilee? Yeah, I think his name's Jesus. Yeah, no, I know, I, I, I saw him. Man, what he's, I can't believe what he did. I mean, the, the guy was blind, and he healed him. I mean, I, I can't explain that. And then another guy comes around, you hear him, and he goes, he goes, ah. What are you talking about? I heard about this. Oh, man, you got to hear this. This Jesus, he's doing, he's healing people and nobody can explain it. Hear the word every? Nobody can explain it. And his words, I, I don't even understand them all, but he, he speaks in such a way. I, I, I just can't avoid it. By the way, that's my full acting career today right there. Did y'all like that? <laughs> now, here's an interesting point to me. I know I can't be giving that conversation, that little narration. I know I can't be giving that the emphasis that it actually had. It, they, these conversations must have been way beyond that. You know why? Because of what it caused people to do. What words, what emotion would it take for me to say right now for you to gather the things on your table and walk to Wichita, Kansas. That's kind of what's going on here, isn't it? You think about it, right? What would it take? I mean, what would I have to say to you right at this moment for you to stand up and walk to Wichita, Kansas? Because this, that concept, is the context surrounding the authority and the power of Jesus. Put yourself literally in these people's shoes. Because we get in a car and we fly, right? I could be in Kansas City uh, now, right? And we call ahead for reservations and we check out where we're going to eat almost instantaneously online, don't we? 
Let's be honest. How many of you know where you're going to eat before you know how you're going to get there when you're going on a trip? Come on, raise your hand. I know you're out there, right? So if I say to you, I'm going to Kansas City, what are you going to say to me? Well, you got to go get some barbecue. Yeah. Yeah. And when people are coming to Oklahoma, what do they say? Don't go. No, no, say, yeah. <laughs> say I'm kidding. I love my state. I've been here my whole life. The, uh, the, uh, they say, where are you going to get that steak? Because you got to get a steak if you go to Oklahoma. We have that because we have the ability to prepare for our trip. But what words would it take to draw you for you to be willing to walk miles and miles with little or no knowledge about how the events are going to unfold? That's the other thing that grabs my attention, right? Forget about what you're going to eat. You don't even know where you're going. Because at that moment, you don't know exactly where Jesus is because nobody's walking around going, here he comes. You know, none of that's going on, right? So, and maybe based on what you've heard, you're ill or you're disabled or you have somebody with you who's ill or disabled. And that further complicates your trip, doesn't it? These people were drawn to Jesus, which takes me to my question today. What draws you to Jesus? What draws me to Jesus? It's a powerful question. Matthew established the, the uh, um, authority and power of Jesus, and it's real. And the attention to it is deserved. And uh, the people of his, of his day, they recognized this, and they were drawn to it. Got a ne- Our next point of context is in the next verse. Because they, ca- they did more than come. They come and they check it out. Look at Matthew uh, 4, verse 25. Yes. Large crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis uh, and Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. This word crowds is funny to me, right? Crowds is plural. How do you have plural of crowds? Isn't that by nature plural? I mean, it doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, I will say that we understand this, though. Uh, We understand it more than most. If crowds, singular, is y'all, What's crowds plural? I knew you would get that. (laughs) See? That's why you come to Oklahoma right there. (laughs) Evidently, all y'all is grammatically correct in the original language of the Bible. (laughs) I I think if you read it the way Matthew intended it, it makes more sense. Here it goes. When Jesus saw all y'all, he sat down to say something. All right? (laughs) Doesn't that make more sense? I don't know why they didn't translate it that way. All right? Large crowds followed him. I can only imagine. And the point is that they didn't just show up. Notice what the passage doesn't say. It doesn't say that the crowds came to see him. It says that large crowds followed him. Yes. Let's go back to that day. You are drawn to Jesus and then you find him. And it happens. Jesus speaks. And suddenly you understand why your friend was so excited You understand the intensity of the language that he used to draw you to Jesus in the first place. And you know that your journey to seek him was the right one. So you follow him. You are now part of the crowds. You're part of the all (laughs) y'all. Definitely. I sat down and thought about that scenario for just a little bit. People were literally pulled out of their lives by the words and actions of Jesus, but his authority captured them. And when I thought about this, my little brain couldn't let it go. Those are the words of a conqueror, aren't they? So as I thought about it, I thought about the contrasting difference between Jesus as a conqueror and all the other conquerors in all of history. Listen to this. The the conquerors of the world capture you by force and fear, but Jesus, the most powerful conqueror of all, 
captures with the peaceful authority of his words and actions. It's different. The conquerors of the world take those they conquer away as exiles to foreign lands. Jesus the conqueror takes those he conquers and gathers them literally into his presence, doesn't he? That's what's happening on the mountain here. The conquerors of the world bind and chain and drag their subjects unwillingly. But Jesus, he asks you to decide. He turns to walk away and simply says, follow me. And if you allow him to conquer you and you allow him to take over your life, you will literally follow him anywhere he goes. It doesn't matter what is there. It doesn't matter what's going to happen there. If Jesus has conquered you in your heart, in your mind, his presence is your authority and your power. I love that. And the disciples are a perfect example of this. His authoritative words and powerful actions, they captured them. And Jesus even told them his intentions to take them to his kingdom. In John chapter 14, verse 1, it says this, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go there to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way where I'm going. That doesn't give you a warm fuzzy, nothing will, right? That's the best one of all. So I ask again, what draws me to Jesus? And that begs another question after what we've learned. What does his authority and power cause me to do? Ultimately, the disciples were, were going to fall and it didn't matter where they were going. Truly, once, the, once this whole thing unraveled uh, and you can see the whole picture, they follow him no matter where he goes. You want proof? Here it is. What happened to specifically the 12, but really any of the disciples of Christ in the first century? What happened to them? Yeah. Did they benefit financially? No. No, they, they knew they, they, they weren't following money, right? Did they gain political power? No, they knew who had the power. Were they revered and lived their life out in luxury or even simple comfort? Nope. They were exiled, beaten. I got a whole list here. Burned, staked, beheaded, crucified. Feeling good? All right? Yeah. All right. I asked the question, what does the power and authority of Jesus cause us to do? It conquers. The love of, you remember how we say, I, I, this is why I thought about this. The love of God conquers us. It conquers all. The love of God conquers me. And it is such a beautiful, you know, the disciples had to have been fully conquered by this power and authority of the one they serve because you don't go through what they went through without it. My final point. Got just enough time to finish. Everything we have looked at this morning develops the context. And we're going to go back over to Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. And it develops the context of Matthew 5, 2. Let me pull that up where you can actually see it. That's a good idea, isn't it? There we go. When Jesus, we're back to the same verse. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, great observation, and he sat down. His disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them. The interesting note to me is that whether it's the disciples or anybody in this day, they do not fully realize yet who Jesus is, do they? That question is answered later on in Matthew chapter 16. So nine chapters of information uh, 
transpires before Jesus says, who do you say I am? And Peter jumps up and very adamantly says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. That happens nine chapters later. And the interesting thing about that is what Jesus' response is. Do you know what that is? He doesn't tell them. The word is warns. Warns them not to tell anyone that he is the Christ. But we have a context that they don't have in that day that I think is interesting. Because we know the one who opened his mouth on the mountain to speak is the Lord of Lords. And we know this from John 1 verse 1. I love these words. They're so appropriate here. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. It's powerful. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. From this, we know that the one who speaks on the mountain is the one who created the mountain. And that gives us a powerful context into the character of God. Because when Jesus opens his mouth to speak, his authority and his power, he could have expressed anything he wanted. But the, and there was nothing anybody could do because of who he is. And being all he is, Jesus could have forcefully exercised his authority and power over his subjects, couldn't he? I mean, that's, he's God. He could turn us into a puddle of goo if he wants to, right? Right? did it in salt with somebody, if I remember in the Old Testament, right? But instead, being true to all he is, Jesus chose to sit down on a mountainside, open his mouth, and simply teach his disciples about his authority and power. In doing so, Jesus shows us his character. His character is his desire to teach. He wants to know us, not to ignore us. That's not what he's after here. He wants to be with us, not push us away and reign from on high above us. So he teaches us so that we will know him. I think that's so beautiful. It's such a privilege, isn't it? Yes. Yes. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry, that one it was. I'm sorry, yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it's a powerful illustration, the com, a comparison, certainly. Yeah, that's a great, nice observation there, too. Uh-huh, yeah. Hey, choir's going to be up on high. You can listen to them, but it's not going to be as good, all right? So, <laughs> the one who has authority over us uh, desires that we know him. What a privilege. So, in closing, let's go back to the crowds. You're there. This incredible man who is so different in such a good way that you can't help but follow him, all right? You see him sit down on the mountain and his disciples gather around him. You have to know that something's about to happen, don't you? You know this because you've been there and you know that when he speaks, something happens. People get healed. The word every comes into play. Everyone knows that when Jesus speaks, it's so worth listening. He, Matthew writes, he opened his mouth and began to teach them. I wonder if at the exact moment that Jesus' mouth opened, I just wonder if the mountainside went still.
Wouldn't that be a beautiful picture to think about? Application for today, and then we're done. It's really quick. The decisions of Christ's followers in the first century are the same decisions for us today. Have his actions drawn you? Maybe as we head towards Easter, you look at the actions of Jesus and allow the words of Scripture to draw you even closer. Has his authority captured you? Maybe you read his words. Uh, Maybe as you read his words. Sorry, I didn't read that right. Maybe as you read his words this week, you consider what his authority has caused you to do. Have you been conquered by Jesus? Maybe this week you decide to follow him even more. What draws me to Jesus? Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you, Lord, so much for your willingness. That is a word that is just on my heart. Your willingness to come and be with us and to teach us. Thank you for your authority and your power and the impact it has on every person's life in this room, for everyone's life. Thank you, God. Will you instill on our hearts and our minds this week as we go forward? Will you help us understand what draws us to you, what help us to see it? Will you open the eyes of our heart so that we can become closer to you today than we were yesterday and a little closer tomorrow than we are today? We pray in Jesus' name, by his authority and power. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.